0: Are the central banks ruining the world? In this video, the last in our series with expert technical analyst Sven Henrik, he makes a pretty strong case they very well may be. What they've done with this notion of, we're gonna manage the economy
1: through markets and asset price inflation. They have fractured society in a way not seen since feudal times.
0: I want to get to the question I think is on most people's mind, which is, all right, given everything that Sven you know, just talked about that he sees in the system, uh, what should we do about it as investors? Um, before I do, though, I just want to ask this question, um, because as you're describing kind of the central banks, the situation they're in, to me, I kind of have like... Um, godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla, in my mind right which is you've got their fear of the bubble bursting right they've got this franken bubble and they've got to do they're all in on it right they're, they're just doing everything they can in service of keeping that bubble from bursting but then you have the inflation monster on the other end right which is getting stronger basically by the by the month here um and that could be something that that finally forces them to do what they desperately do not want to do, which is maybe to start raising rates. right? Do you have a gut feel uh, as to which monster you think is going to prove stronger in the end?
1: Well, first of all, I think they're going to, you know, whatever pops to the bubble uh, is is central banks will uh, try to avoid to dearest to be blamed for it. Okay. They will not take credit for creating it. And they certainly do not want to be blamed for it. I think this is, the inflation part is, is, is really interesting now because we came out of the deflationary environment and central bankers you know, I've been getting the Glamour magazine covers. You know, Ben Bernanke was the hero. Janet Yellen, the $16 trillion. These are the guys
0: that saved the world, right? Time magazine. They've
1: saved the world. They're saving the world. They're saving the world. But now, I mentioned Christine Lagarde in Build Magazine in Germany. You know, she got some really nasty headlines, you know, walking around with the Chanel bag while the poor people can't afford anything. Um, and we see it in the United States as well between Democrats and Republicans. I think the... The Fed has gotten into some really bad negative publicity. Uh, they don't want to be in the political crosshairs, if if you will. I mean, you, you saw the trading scandals. I, I I can go off on on that one. <laughs> but um, it, it, it it you wonder if the Fed ultimately is is losing kind of the public support. I think in many ways they are relying on the willful ignorance of the population at large in terms of what their role actually. is. Is. Um, I one thing I haven't not talked about yet today, I should I should raise it because it's it's an issue dear to my heart. What what they've done with this notion of we're going to manage the economy through markets and asset price inflation. They have fractured society in a way not seen since feudal times. US GDP, let's say it's $22 trillion. Since the March 2020 low, the top one percent. The top 1% have gained $15 trillion in net worth. That's 70% of US GDP. There's no precedence for that to see so much wealth in such a short amount of period of time bestowed on few. And we're talking generational wealth. You're seeing statistics like 89% of all all stocks are owned by the top 10%. The bottom 50% own virtually. Nothing in terms of stocks. Yet now, and this is where the danger is. I think the real danger is from a societal perspective. The, the bottom 50% are stuck with the inflation part. They're the ones that are going to get hurt by that in a major way. Not only temporary inflation. And by the way, let's be clear what inflation really means. Okay. You know, they're talking about year-on-year rate changes. Yes, we just had a massive move up. If, if all of a sudden that move up slows down, you can claim victory on inflation because the year over year rate change has changed. You, you, housing can be flat next year. Let's just take that as an example. Let's say the right, uh, increase in house prices or rental prices stops next year. But guess what? The consumer is still stuck with housing prices, rental prices that are 20% higher than they were higher last than they were. year.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And, and their wage growth has not been keeping up. And so now you you, you creating this society on the one hand, you, you get people just incredibly wealthy. Uh, and yet the that's why consumer confidence is down. I, I guarantee you that's the reason. And they're, 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 everything looks shiny, but they're actually struggling with making ends meet. And now that stimulus checks have run out, the cash has run out and they're all going back into credit card spending. The angst is there. It is, it, the angst is absolutely there, and, and one worry I have, and this is not a trend that started in March 2020, but that's been going on now since 2009. This this broadening wealth inequality that benefits the few and leaves the many behind, it's creating a fractured society, and with the amplification of social media, and misinformation, and what have you, we see an ever divisive political um, populace. And it's not only the United States. I think maybe COVID is, is a great example. I mean, we, and I've made this point before. If, if you have a, you know, issues are complex. Solutions for these issues, solving these problems is incredibly complex to solve from a political perspective in any setting. But if you cannot agree on a common reality from which to have a debate on, you're not gonna get anywhere. And I think what all politicians, Democrats, Republicans, or in Germany and whatever else, they've all come to rely on central banks to bail them out, right? the 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 federal reserve the central bank has become a political tool right to solve things that's why all of a sudden they get handed climate
0: change as a as a solution wait wait are you saying that they're not independent that the fed isn't an independent entity i am sorry yeah, just yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah, to, to yeah. hear them profess that because i i agree a thousand percent with you well you just heard biden saying you know i
1: mean i'm you know i mean by the way i'm i'm, I'm just gonna hammer both sides here you know Trump, as you may recall, as president, he hammered on 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 Jay Powell to stop the rate hikes and drop them back to zero and start QE. And Powell did. You know, he he went in December 2018 when he went to when markets were hammering. He he had a meeting with Trump and he came out a week later and lo and behold, changed course. Now Biden, you know, renominating Powell now, which. You know, I, I could comment on Pauli being a political decision more than anything else um, he also just made the comment about you know what his view was on monetary policy and inflation and how his picks and his three future picks will represent his views what, what has that to do with independence you you know if, if you select the people that you want to, follow your views. I mean, I guess if you run an organization, that's fair and square, but the notion of Fed independence here, um, these quote-unquote gurus, supposedly, that are acting out of the goodness of their hearts is simply not true. And one of the, you know, I don't take easily offense, but one thing I really took offense to this last year was when Jay Powell, boldly out there claimed that Fed policy absolutely do not, contribute to inequality wealth inequality yeah absolutely when I, I... when a billionaire like stan Drockenmiller goes out there and says not only do you contribute you're the biggest driver of inequality and we can see it in the data it's absolutely staggering what's going on there and unfortunately you know the central bankers get to keep make, making statements like that you and i and mike or anyone in our audience here we do not have a choice. We we have no say whatsoever who these people are, what their policies are. We, it's, it's it's I called it a monetary North Korea. They're absolutely unaccountable by any measure. You know, Congress supposedly has the oversight function, but you have you seen these meetings? <laughs> 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 have, have you seen the questions? They're like uh, yeah, and, they're like groupies, and, 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 you know, worshiping at the altar. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and it makes sense because not only are most members of Congress very wealthy, they are actually benefiting from loose policies and having come to rely on the Fed to bail out any uh, economic issues, which they they need a good economy. If you're in charge of the House or the Senate or the presidency, doesn't matter which party it is, if the economy tanks, you're not getting reelected. Very simple. The voters ain't happy. You're not retaining power. Okay, so it makes perfect sense to have a and to, to position people on the Fed that are very dovish. And and now we see members of the Fed trading on inside information. Uh, I mean, yeah. I I don't know how much more banana republic this gets. I you know I, I know this is neither here nor there. You know and obviously to um Rosengren and uh, what was the
0: other guy. Um, uh, oh on. gosh, this guy's name See, begins with a C. He's, he's already forgotten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's actually three of them that basically kind of got caught up in this, but but yes.
1: Yeah, well, Clarita got caught Clarita, up in this. But that's what I was thinking was, of. He, he was forced to retire. Um, but the, the issue was that they were, let's, let's just call it, I mean, at the end of the day, they're human. And at the end of the day, they're also profit motivated. And they took advantage of whatever trading strategies they were pursuing, but they're in a position. See, if the Fed was only there for emergencies, I'm I'm fine. Okay. You know, if, if you can't trade, maybe during action of the Federal Reserve. But the fact is that the Fed is the market now. The Fed drives everything because we know it. We see it in the reaction to every Fed speech. To every And they give dozens of speeches these days, right? They are being watched and they have an impact on the market. So if, if you're then trading on you know, n- your inside knowledge, it's just, it's just a really bad feel, okay? And that's why they retired. Kaplan was the other one, Rosengren and Kaplan. Kaplan, yeah. And if you should talk about transparency, I'll just throw this out as well. You may recall this, you know, they got caught basically with these disclosure forms, and then they immediately tried to smoothen things over and said, oh, we're, we're going to close out all our positions, Right. That was the notion. That was what happened in September. We're going to close out all our positions. Well, guess what? They retired suddenly. And there's never been any follow up to say, did they actually close their positions? I would like to know, you know, or did they just make that decision to retire? And then the other thing is, and, you know, maybe it gets me into trouble, but I'm the only one maybe out there that sees a problem with Jay Powell running a massive long portfolio in equities. You know, literally tens of millions of dollars long at
0: Spy and and the Russell. Right. That, Why that, that it directly like, benefit from his policies that he's in charge of.
1: You know, we're all human. Okay. And, you know, if if Powell sees all of a sudden his portfolio go down in massive amounts, like he did in December 2018 when markets dropped, you know, you, you, can you have that mental wall to completely separate yourself? I mean, I,
0: and even if he's superhuman and could, it's just the optics of it are so bad. Like, why even have that? They're, they're terrible.
1: And, and so I, I've, that's why we have it. And, and then here's the biggest issue. Let's forget Powell and his, and his investments. But the biggest issue I have now, uh, from an ethical point of view, this started with Greenspan, got really popular with Bernanke, then really took off also with Janet Yellen. And now it's going to also ultimately happen with Jay Powell. Everyone that becomes Fed chair, has now a clear established expectation to make millions and millions and millions in dollars in speaking fees once they leave the Fed. Which is ironic because you as Fed chair are supposed to regulate the banks. Right. right? (laughs) So you have a massive financial incentive
0: to be favorable towards the banks because you got a payoff coming. Right, this right? is basically like your, your Fed chairmanship, sort of like your job interview for these guys. Well, I, I'll give you a specific example talking about just bad optics. And I, I'm not, I
1: cannot make any accusations whatsoever. I'm just pointing out facts. Janet Yellen made over $7 million in speeches in Zoom speeches in many cases from all kinds of financial institutions. And as soon as she became secretary of the treasury, she came out and says, yay, go buybacks for banks. <laughs> Thanks for the checks. You know the, the problem is you get into an environment where you cannot actually have a, a, a solid sense of trust that central bankers are doing what's best for the economy vis-a-vis what's also conflated with their own financial personal interests. Will I if as a Fed share, will I bang on on the banks in a, in a hard way in regulation? It, Janet Yellen, was never a very wealthy person. She was an economist. She was in Berkeley. She was a professor. Ben Bernanke was never a, a yeah. massively wealthy person, but they are now. In, until he got hired by Citadel. <laughs> that's exactly it. And he made tons of money with speeches as well. I'm, I'm just saying there's, there's just the appearance of conflict of interest and, and, and seeing the tight relationship between markets and Fed action and how it's rewarded it just leaves a really bad taste. And I think this is where the Fed has done itself a lot of harm uh, in terms of public perception. Because not only having created a system whereby they manage the economy with market direction and are creating incredibly unprecedented wealth inequality, they also benefit personally themselves, right? And 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 then when I when I hear Powell talk about going to a visit a homeless camp while inflation gets juiced to the moon uh with with rental prices.
0: I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah it just seems so hypocritical.
1: Yeah, it's 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 not nice. And, and anyhow, I'm yeah, I, I understand the media is not gonna hammer them on them because it's an access issue. Um and it, probably I get a lot of grief for this as well on Twitter,
0: but yeah, you but you know, in in and look, you know, I, in, in, in luck, you know, I <laughs> There's so much I want to continue talking about here, Sven. Um, we're going to have to have you back on at some point in the not too distant future. Um, you know, you, you've you put your finger on something that you write a lot about and I write a lot about, which is I think this is the most important part of the whole enchilada here, which is the the unfairness. Right. We have basically the most powerful institution in the world and its policies are directly benefiting the very, very top of the wealth pyramid on an accelerating basis. And as you were talking about earlier, you know, everybody who's not in that top 1% is getting all of the bad and practically none of the good. Um, and that's just not sustainable. That's the kind of thing that eventually ruins society because you know your underclass gets to a point where things just can't survive anymore. And there's no other choice but to, to stand up and rebel against the folks that are running the system. And I think we're already seeing a lot of social cracks that are being driven by that. And I could talk about those with you forever, Um, but uh, uh, I I do want to get to the 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 last part of this this interview. The one thing I'll say is is um, you talked about the media there, and I understand the access issue and all that. But what what, uh, what 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 an important milestone in this journey that we're on here is when public awareness begins to focus on the Fed as being the culprit here and not the hero. And right now, unfortunately, they still are seen as the hero by them, yeah, you know, painted that way by themselves and by the media. But even the populace, you know, when they get in trouble, what do they do? Well, they they or when they're feeling the pain, what do they do? Well, they ask for more stimulus, uh, and not, not realizing that that's sort of the vehicle of the un- inequality that's that's crushing them. So, we could really get into that forever. I I don't think we have time here. So I'm going to force the conversation into this last key question, which is. um Given what you see ahead, both in terms of the macro risks we've discussed as well as what the charts are telling you, um w- what assets or what portfolio positioning do you think makes sense in this kind of market here? Um, you know, is there anything that's popping out to you that says in this type of, of you know environment we see ourselves in here, these asset classes are likely to do particularly well or particularly poorly? Or are there any strategies that that you think work well will we'll work better going forward? Well, first of all, the the Twitter handle is
1: Northman Trader, not Northman Investor, right? So, yeah, we, yeah, short term. yeah We 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 yeah we we like to focus on swing trades on the indices. Uh, we're we're not in individual stocks, and we're we're flexible. I mean, we, when we see buy opportunities in terms of what the signals tell us and the support levels. We, we do buys, we we switch between the, uh, different indices. So we, we we may have a swing short on, and then we have hedge longs on, for example, on a different index. And, and that has been actually working uh, very well over, over the course of the year, because this year, what we've seen in particular is this called so-called rotation game, right? We, we've seen all sudden inflows into financials or inflows into small caps, at the expense of the NASDAQ, there was a period where the NASDAQ was actually lagging. And then the NASDAQ became stronger again. A lot of it had to do also with with yields, right? We had this phase where when yields were rising, NASDAQ wasn't happy when real yields dumped, NASDAQ well, was very happy. <laughs> um, so from, from our perspective, it's always been uh, a flexible approach and sometimes that works incredibly well and sometimes it's more frustrating i mean it's, it's it's not always i don't want to paint a you know a fantasy picture here either this is, this is not very easy my my issue is yeah you know, we are in a market where uh, we are still dependent on on low rates and they've created obviously the i think the reality simply to say that you know, the risk-free premium justifies a lot of the valuations that we're, we're seeing. Um, from, from an investment perspective, what I have liked um, is is gold. We were actually quite bullish. We, we don't have our actual position ourselves at the moment, but we were very bullish from gold last year. We had these technical patterns. Uh, gold right now also looks interesting because here too, we see potential patterns that drive gold to 2,500, although I would would caution, we also just had a failed breakout there. Uh, GDX, which is the miners, looked also interesting as well. My, my larger issue is, since I consider it the effort, everything bubble, what is a safe haven? And I thought Friday was very, this last Friday during Thanksgiving, was kind of instructive because I didn't really see much of a safe haven anywhere. I mean, yeah, there were some select stocks like Zoom or whatever, kind of knee jerk reactions, but everything went down. Not only stocks, but crypto as, as well. You know, there's obviously, that's a big space uh, and a very growing space. But, you know, one of the things I've been highlighting is also the f- directional flow relationship between Bitcoin and the S&P, for example, specifically. Uh, question I keep raising is, okay, as long as the qu- liquidity spigot flows and markets can make new highs, clearly Bitcoin makes new highs and it's been having a tremendous advantage in the fact that it, it is a, in a, an actual asset class where we don't have QE messing with everything and with, with central bankers. So you get this more volatility that I would like, actually like to see in, in this indices them, themselves. Um, but you know, we. My wife in particular, she's been very bullish on Bitcoin, and she has a hundred thousand dollar target on it. It's still um, in a inverse pattern, but it also just failed at the previous high. Um, so it, like some of these indices, uh, it has some technical issues it needs to, to work through. Um, uh, from that perspective, the other the other issue I'd caution here is. We'll just generally have a question about this whole issue of regulation. I think regulation can be ultimately bullish for crypto in the sense that you then have clarity and the uncertainty is removed, um, but that can also backfire because it's interesting to me to see uh, Christine Lagarde or Yellen or Powell kind of dancing around this whole crypto issue because at the end of the day, central banks are about one thing, and that is control. Right. And- They do not like competition. The, they don't like competition. Um, and you know, Christine Lagarde came out and says, well, you know, Bitcoin is not a currency, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's what she would like to believe, right? Uh, but the reality is there is an emerging technology that is used for transactions and it's creating kind of a shadow economy, right? I mean. You and I, uh, we may not be excited to buy an ape NFT, you know, but people do it, right? <laughs> and and they're spending money on it. And uh, you know, we'll see if that's a fad or if this is ultimately going into the metaverse is going to be a real thing. Because I want to be, you know, have certain, yeah, you know, I want to look a certain way in the metaverse, so I'm you know, going to buy some premium digital items to make me look good, you know. All possible, all likely in, in some form or, or another. You know, society always changes. And I'm I'm not the one to judge and say, okay, well, this is all silly. You know, I'm not interested in it. But the fact is, you know, we bought things that our parents thought were silly as well, right? Things, things are changing. And, and the challenge, I think, for central banks is, you know, to the extent that this really grows and becomes an ever larger part of society, does that take away from them? In terms of their ability to control what they want to control, right? Uh, they 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 are the one they are the money printers after all, right? They don't they don't want other people to to mess with that. And then maybe a corollary issue here is okay. So a bunch of people are taking their stimulus checks and they're making money in in trading crypto. That's great. Make money. Go go wild, right? And as long as you make money, that's cool. But what if you start taking your money? out of the real economy and you put it into this crypto economy and all of a sudden you lose money right i mean there are drawdowns things sometimes go down a lot people leverage them up you know i mean obviously crypto has ups and downs all the time but what if all of a sudden this becomes a larger issue you know and and then you have and I have not mentioned seen a central banker mention this. I, I'm just kind of wondering this myself. If you start taking away money from the real economy, put it in a digital economy and you lose a lot, lot of money in it, that money doesn't come back into the real economy. So is crypto in, in such an environment is crypto, and I'm just talking about from a regulatory point of view, is that actually becoming a drag on the real economy? Not saying that it is. Right. Could I'm that be saying deflationary? that could question. be the argument to be made. Right. and say, okay, well, we don't actually want that. Now, and say, well, you can't, you can't ban it anyway. Fair enough. Maybe you can't, but you can make it arduous in a in a big way. You know, you can just have a special tax on it. You know, boom, liquidity gone. Right, I mean, it can happen very quickly. You know, but I'm I'm not projecting anything here. I'm just saying that there there's a debate to be had. I think the regulation is coming, and um, you know, it, it'll be a either a awakening in a, in a sense that, wow, you know, we have to deal with a new reality that we didn't have to deal with, uh, or it's massively bullish because now we know what it is and there's not gonna be anything more and we can go wild, also possible. So crypto is, is interesting now from perspective, but like with anything else, and I just highlight this, and I've been point, posting charts on Bitcoin in particular all year long. I love how technically it trades. I mean, it, it's beautifully from a charting perspective. Because maybe more so than anything else, because it doesn't have, you know, central bank speeches messing up your your charts (laughs) in the middle (laughs) of the evening, you know, it's like, boom, uh, thanks for the gap, guys. But uh, yeah, crypto doesn't have that, but it does have the flow correlation with with S&P assets. So my concern is, and we have yet to see this, I have to say this, we have yet to see a major correction in asset prices on the equity side that shows crypto to be an actual hedge against asset prices dropping in in the real world. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's an important thing to note. Uh, Absolutely, I I think that's a tricky one. So I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not one to give advice in, in terms of positioning. We do that in obviously our live alert feed. Uh, in terms of how we are approaching this, and we continue to try to be as flexible as possible, and and you know never be stubborn. That's kind of my view. There's a, there's an old trader adage. You know, I mentioned one earlier, which is, you know, you trade the market you have, not the market you want. But there's also another old one, good one, is to say, you know,
0: sell when you can, not when you have to. Mm. Very good reminder. Um, Well, I wanna get real briefly, uh, real quickly to how folks can follow you and your work. Um, One last sort of question for you. Um, Given the uncertainty you see ahead, um, does this seem like an environment in where maybe holding a larger position than normal in just say pure cash um, for both the safety and the optionality of being able to deploy it maybe at a later date after a correction? does that seem prudent to you at this point in time? I, I This is where I go back to these technical charts. Um, if you want to be
1: active in this environment, um, these, these big trends have been incredibly helpful all year long in terms of saying, okay, I want to be less aggressive on the long positioning side than... Then maybe say on 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 other things. So you can always pull in things in and out, right? I mean, you can you can always re- reduce your risk management to then have the flexibility to to put back in a more aggressive positioning on a on a pullback. The the worry I have is that we're going to have a type of an event at some point. I don't. I'm not projecting it to happen here in this, this December, which is highly unusual, by the way. I mean, this December sell-offs are extremely rare. 2018 was an example, 2000 was an example. There's still so much liquidity flowing in. I'd, I'd be surprised, but you know, technically, I would love to see it obviously, because I wanna see some of these technical reconnects. Um, but you know, when we've seen plenty of times, uh, beginning of a year, things kind of shaking up a little bit, right? So there's also recognize that while people have maybe had some tax loss selling here on, on some of the many stocks that are actually down for the year, uh, but there's also big winners that people are reluctant to sell right now, especially big cap tech, right? If, you, if you've if you been uh, long these, you will want to avoid the capital gains this year if you can avoid it. And, and so um, oftentimes you see some selling early in the year and this, these type of assets, right? That can bring about a quick drawdown. So if you anticipate an event like that, which is never a guarantee, of course, yeah, you know, it makes sense, you know, maybe take advantage of some market strength to have flexibility. I, w- I would always encourage flexibility. I mean, I, I know in this environment, it has paid to be absolutely reckless all along uh, in, in the indices. But I think as, as people also realize this year, uh, many people got hurt chasing a lot of these things aggressively, especially with, with call options.
0: So yeah, I always like flexibility. Okay, flexibility, very good um, reminder. All right, well, Sven, so for people who've enjoyed this almost two hour discussion with you, has it been that long? Oh my God. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, Uh, but it's been wonderful. So thank you for being so generous. Um, But for folks that would like to follow you on a more regular basis going forward, where can they go to learn more about you and your work? Well,
1: obviously, there's, there's Twitter, where I kind of live. I have a little mansion there in, in, in Twitter world. No, it's <laughs> called at, at Northman Trader. It's my Twitter handle. The Northman Trader website is uh, obviously where we post our membership um, um, articles and analysis. Uh, also have occasional public articles out there. Just recently, I started launching the Northcast. If you go to my Twitter profile at Northman Trader, it is free. You can subscribe there. And uh, I put out these little video clips about charts. Uh, what I see is kind of, I took my public charting into, into this format because I, I find that when I just post a chart with a few limiting words, uh, they often get misinterpreted. So I've, I've learned that giving a voiceover of the charts gives a little bit more perspective and in depth and understanding, so uh, I don't confuse people in terms of what I'm actually saying. So,
0: great. All right. Well, in the editing process, Sven, I will overlay the URLs for your Twitter handle, your website, the Northcast, etc., here on the screen. In terms of the Northcast, uh, Sven has been kind enough to share his latest one here with a wealthy on audience. So, after this video. Um, I'm about to talk to the guys at New Harbor. Uh, I'll tell you how you can go watch that. Sven, got to cut it off here to let you get back to uh, your life and your family there. Lots to follow up from today's uh, announcements by Jerome Powell. And it's much, much later your time as you're over there across the pond in the UK. But I can't thank you enough and love to have you back on the program again sometime soon.
1: Thanks, Adam. Great to speak to you again. And
0: uh, Mike, say something nice about me, please. (laughs) Will do. I really enjoyed it, Sven. Thank you. All right, take care. <laughs> thanks, Sven. All right, Mike, hey, thanks, buddy, for, uh, for hanging in on that excellent uh, presentation or discussion we just had there with Sven. Uh, I got to say, folks, he is a bit of a hero of mine. I follow his work pretty much daily, certainly his daily commentary on Twitter. Very smart guy um, You know, across a lot of aspects of the economy and the markets, as you've just learned from this discussion. Mike, I know you've followed Sven for many years, too. Um, let's just start with your reaction to what he said here, um, and a lot of it is pretty, you know, like-minded with how you guys manage your money there at New Harbor.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I, I love spend his writings, and you know, I follow him on Twitter, and he certainly has a, a tinge, more than a tinge of sarcasm in his writings. Um, but but what he does have in his writings and his comments is just a, a, an insane amount of understanding. And knowledge of the data just listening to him talk about some of those dates i'm pretty good with dates too and i read a lot but i don't remember them like he does he remembers exact dates and you know certain things that happen in markets and, and just when they happen and it's pretty impressive but i think he really hits a nail on the head and i know it's a simplification the real problem is the fed the fed the fed the fed it's all the fed we all trade the fed but all, you know, when when you know, it, it say the Fed has control, and they have had control to an unbelievably unfair extent since 2008. But you could even argue that they've been causing bubbles and crashes um, since before then. and they have been. You know, so they they caused the tech bubble and crash, and the housing bubble, and now the everything bubble, just like Sven talked about. But the Fed is the culprit. This is not a fair system. That we've been operating under and nobody knows how this is going to to come apart you know which is why we think the only way to really navigate this is to get mostly out and Sven is more of a trader and talks about ways to get in and out but there's always a give back you know so you you have to decide how much you're willing to give back and what is likely to be a swift drop or even a crash at some point based on how extreme things are and we have decided to raise a you know a fair amount of cash versus trying to trade in and out of it in rapid fashion. Now, this has gone on so, so very long. But the Fed has caused a, a broken system. I want to make that clear. The, the Federal Reserve and other central banks who have then followed suit have created a broken, unfair system that creates wealth disparity in a very unstable market. It's either straight up or it's or or it crashes, you know, and, and at some point it it will. We've seen a lot of mini crashes. You know, even the COVID crash wasn't really a crash. I guess it was in terms of percentage, 32% in 17 days, but it was rescued immediately. And now we have something that's absolutely obscene. Sven talked about a market cap to GDP of 160%. We're at 208% or something right now, 214% at the high a week or two ago. So to think that's not gonna matter here, you know, we could talk all day long about how to navigate, but but I think the way to navigate is to stay mostly out, to have some exposure to real things like gold, and to have some dry powder to be able to react. I don't think we're going to get hyperinflation immediately, even though the Fed says inflation is not transitory. Um, you know, what are your choices? You know, to, to, to capitulate out of cash and buy overvalued real estate, buy overvalued stocks. That's the challenge. History shows that if we do move faster into hyperinflation, that asset prices crack or even crash first before they ultimately go skyward. So there should be some very good opportunity. But all in all, I, I thoroughly was was thrilled and enjoyed that, that, that almost two hour talk that we just had. But the Fed is the culprit and it's a corrupt system and um, still waiting for a moment of, of fairness and justice that I hope does come pretty soon. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm right there with
0: you on rooting for fairness and justice. Um, uh, I do think, though, that if it arrives, that it's going to be a painful process for an awful lot of people, uh, sadly, just because things are so distorted. You know, it's so interesting because Sven is, is such a guru on the technical side of things. And we did a you know, pretty good romp through a number of his charts here. But if you, you know, watch his daily commentary on Twitter, and certainly if you watch his videos, you know, he really gets into the depth of the, the technical action. Um, but he's also a fantastic um, brain on, on the macro side of the story. And that's what we end up spending most of our time about. And like you said there, Mike, you know, I think the, um, the really big risk here is um, you know, just how overinflated the system is. Sven talked to a lot of charts saying that there's actually a lot of rot in the markets that if you take away the big high flying megatech companies that are driving the indices, a lot of these companies are down. You know I, think, I can't remember which indice it was. It might have been the, the Russell. But I think he said that sort of the average return of, of the rest of the Russell was like negative 19% or something like that. So you know, we have a system that is decaying from the inside. Uh, the veneer looks solid because the, those few companies are propping up the overall average of the index. Um, but then we have the other major thing, which is that what has characterized this mega bull run um, since uh, the great financial crisis, uh, and certainly what's gotten us out of last year's COVID um, weakness, uh, has been central bank uh, liquidity. And you know we now have the Fed pumping the brakes. Right? They're, they're not necessarily tightening yet, but they will be tapering and they are talking about tapering faster. Um, so to your point about worries of hyperinflation and whatnot, you, know, you, you don't have that when central banks are tapping the brakes. You have that when they're just going whole hog. So um, I think that the, the potential risk here that we've talked about in this program a lot, but I think Sven just added a lot of important puzzle pieces to it, um, is that with the slowdown in monetary stimulus, that could be the rug pull. Under this market that has a lot of rot uh, within the internals, and we could see, to use Sven's word, you know, a right-sizing, which, as he says, you know, tops are processes, but uh, declines are events, where that could drop the market substantially very quickly, catching an awful lot of people by surprise. And and look, if you're if you're interested in trying to trade the market like Sven, you know. Definitely, he's a smart guy, work with him or somebody like him, but it does take an awful lot of focus. It takes an awful lot of work, and it's a game of averages where hopefully you win more than you lose. Um, A lot of regular people just don't have the time, um, the energy- uh, and, uh, you know, the, the focus, they've got real lives to live. Um, so that only works for a certain type of person. What you're saying, Mike, I think makes a lot of sense for the general person, which is, hey, the smartest thing to do in a market with this much risk in it is just play it as safe as you can, um, you know, try not to be long the market, uh, try to be invested in more defensive uh, assets you mentioned, their gold. I loved hearing that Sven thinks that gold actually has a really promising technical lineup right now. So, um, just my way of saying, Mike, I think your guys's approach fits very well the ma- macro environment that that Sven just laid out there for us.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Adam. We agree with that. And um, there's just very, very likely to be some kind of asset price crash or asset price. Crisis or or deflationary impulse, if you will, it's very very likely that's going to happen. It's going to give those that have some buying power opportunity to buy. Um, and you know, just another word on those that you know talk about how unfair or unjust or how stretched the system is, or even how corrupt it is. It you know, and it sounds like negativity rooting for collapse, if you will, and those that. Um, you know talk like that are often uh, often said to be naysayers or negative another doom one of your gloomers. guests doom and gloomers you know i mean you've had charles Hugh smith on here before i really enjoy his writings uh, his website is of two mindsblogspot.com i think just two days ago or maybe three days ago he wrote a piece about about this saying those that call for collapse aren't rooting for a collapse they're trying to prevent a collapse of society, those that call out how unstable the system has been for so long, how unbalanced, one-sided and unfair it's been for so long, are not trying to benefit from a notion of being, right? They're trying to call out structural problems year after year, but it's difficult because the truth is we have very rarely in history had a period of so long, 13, 14 even even longer, many years of no consequence from ever more extreme um, intervention, particularly monetary intervention. And like Sven said in the talk, we weren't asked about that at all. Not only are our central banks not independent, particularly the Fed, we weren't asked our opinion. And the average person doesn't really even pay attention until they feel it personally, unfortunately. So it's a bit of a psychological game, psychological war, if you will, in my opinion. And so we'll continue to call it out. I mean, we are saying the same thing as Sven is saying. He's probably saying it more eloquently, but Fed and interventionist monetary policy is the problem. It's the crux of the problem.
0: All right, here. Well, um, yeah, just just in that Charles piece, your points there, Mike, a good way to think about it is, is people who put on seatbelts are not rooting to get into a car crash. Right, <laughs> you know, they're just saying, "Hey, there's a chance that an accident might happen. We, you know, we should try to limit our downside if that happens." And of course, the faster you're driving a car, the more sense it makes to put your seatbelt on. Again, it's not rooting to smash your car into something. It's just saying, "Hey, it could happen." Right? Um, all right. So, you know, you and I and John, uh, who's not able to join us here today, he's the other lead partner at New Harbor. Um, we were uh, recording a, a little explainer video the other day uh telling people you know what happens in the the free consultations that you offer to people here at Wealthion because um, a lot of people have you know interest in that and they're curious what they're going to get um I'm curious right now uh, you know we're approaching the end of the year Mike what are some of the things that people are reaching out to you guys for help with uh, at the you know at the close of the year here where you can really help people think about you know important steps to take
2: before the new year arrives I got to say that we're relatively grateful that a good number of people that come to talk with us already kind of see things similarly and, and, and already are, are somewhat unexposed to the market. Maybe half to two thirds of folks are relatively unexposed and they just want to have maybe validation that they're not crazy. That's a big one right now. They want to have validation that they're not insane. You know, that they, they see this market as unsustainable. They're out of the market. Many of them have been out of the market for a long time. Some have been out of the market since 2008. And frankly, I don't blame them. And they just want validation that they're not crazy. So, you know, we, we talk about that a lot of the times. Uh, other times people um, want to know how to get in or how to react to a downturn. And it's not going to be the same as it has been every single time. We've been so trained to buy the dip that there's this almost rabid, uh, you know, uh, desire to buy every drop. You know, I mean, a number of commentators on TV called the Friday drop silly and a huge opportunity. I heard one even call it a a mini March 2020, a mini COVID crash. The markets were down like two percent, two percent. I mean, it just, come on. It, just, I mean it's, it just
0: shows how how, you know, price to fantasy things are right now that, that just a slight little one day blip is now equated with, you know, a, a, a massive market crash
2: it's just gotten absolutely ridiculous. I mean, every, almost everyone that we talk to can see that it's a bubble. I think that most people can see that it's a bubble, yet nobody does anything about it, really. A lot of people don't do anything about it, I should say, which is the pure definition of a bubble. You're in a bubble, everyone sees it, and you can, you can sense it, yet I don't think we need to do anything quite yet. So a, a lot of the conversations are, are sanity checks for folks. We're happy to do that. Others want to have the, the, the notion or, or the ability to talk to somebody that knows how to get in on the way down and hopefully not too early. No one's gonna be perfect, but we have a hedging uh, process where we can get in in slices or in tranches in the market on a decline. And then there are maybe um, you know, 20 or 30% of the people that come to us are relatively traditionally invested and in a 60, 40 or a 70, 30 mix and their advisor, Tells them not to worry. And they just want the courage to reallocate. And you know, oftentimes we're giving them that courage verbally. And sometimes people choose to hire us in our management, in which case one of the reasons why they're hiring us is to have that courage to reallocate and stick to a plan. So, But it's just a real mixture of things. But those calls are really always no pressure. We really only just want to help. Part of it's psychological. I would say a big part of it is psychological. Yeah,
0: I'd right say now. a huge
2: part of it is right now. <laughs> Yeah. We're good at that, and uh, and we enjoy it.
0: All uh, right, and and again here at the end of the year, I, I presume, but but I'll let you clarify. You know, if people are sitting on either big gains or big losses, you know, you can help them think through the the wisdom of trying to realize those for tax reasons, or trying to defer those again for tax reasons or otherwise. I see you nodding here.
2: Absolutely, of course. I mean, if they're traditionally invested, given that the market is up on the year and, and the last every year for the last nine years or so. Yes, they're going to have gains. And so we'll help them think through that. It it probably makes sense to take those gains almost no matter what, because today's capital gains rates are 15% if it's long term. But we're close enough to the end of the year that depending upon their individual situation and tax bracket, it might make sense to take half now, then hedge the other half with options, let's say, and and then maybe take the other half after January 1st. We can help help them talk through that and think through that.
0: Awesome. All right, Mike. Well, look, uh, we'll wrap things up here. But um, folks, if you're interested in having one of those uh, free consultations with the guys at New Harbor, again, absolutely no uh, commitments to work with them. It's just something they do as a public service. Stick around to the end of this video. We'll tell you how to do that. It only takes a couple of seconds. Uh, As we wrap up here, Mike, um, I think, uh, you know, we should talk about You know what's been going on with gold, because we've been talking a lot about gold in in recent uh, videos, especially with the guys at Cresket Capital from uh, two weeks ago, which was a phenomenal video. Folks, if you haven't seen that, I'm going to put it up here. Uh, You definitely should go watch that if you have any interest in sort of exposure to hard assets. Um, But gold has, you know, the beatings have continued. We'll put it that way. Gold uh, definitely reacted negatively today to Jerome Powell's uh, t- a taper acceleration comment. Um, as a matter of fact, it, it was up big. Gold was up almost 30 uh, bucks an ounce briefly. Uh, and then Powell spoke and uh, that lasted like, you know, it was like 15 minutes of joy. <laughs> and then gold, last time I saw, I think it was down about 10 bucks an ounce or something like that. Um, so uh, we track it a lot in this program. I want us to track the bad along with the good um, Mike, I just want to curious if you have any comments on that. The one thing I'll note is David Hunter, who we have mentioned on this program before, both for his calls for a, a blow off top and, and the general markets followed by a really big market crash. He's been very, very bullish on gold recently. And he did just this morning reiterate, he still is just as bullish as ever. And he thinks the pain of the past week or so uh, is almost over here. In his words, he expects it to hopefully end by tomorrow. Not asking you to make a specific call like that, Mike, or whatnot, but I guess um, you know. How worried are you? What what do you, what, what are your guys' current uh, opinion on what's going on with gold here?
2: Yeah, during the talk that we just had, Sven mentioned that he liked gold, but he also mentioned that there was a failed upside breakout. That is true. On a monthly chart, we had a nice upside bullish breakout that projects up to around twenty five hundred dollars per ounce. Uh, so I agree with Sven on that. If we if we got that bullish triangle breakout, which we did, it has failed. We're back into the triangle. The only thing I would say in gold's defense is that gold had two failed bearish triangle breakdowns in the last few months, which I've mentioned here before, that gold has tried to shake people out. I mean, it's almost like you might have said, or maybe Sven said, if you own gold, you kind of line up for the beatings, you know, um, but it has just stealthily made, you um, Kind of like a, a big—I uh, know I, you know—I don't have a chart in front of me or, or you, but it's made a big second top here in August of 20, and it's kind of on a handle consolidation, formed a triangle. It's almost like a big cup and handle formation going back 10 years, and it's trying to shake people out, in my opinion. Take a look at the dollar. The dollar has just had a—the U.S. dollar has had a big move in the bullish sense to the upside. It certainly looks to be getting overextended and the dollar pulls back that should be supported for gold. Really nothing bad has happened yet technically to gold. It's back into that, the apex of that triangle. It's here at 1780 or so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't panic. I mean, nothing's really happened other than a whole bunch of volatility that's trying to shake people out. I still think it looks good here and that the will probably likely break out again in the next few weeks to the upside.
0: All right. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I agree. On the fundamental side, nothing has changed, at least on our end. Um, it, you know, as talks about. Um, he talks about. Um, he looks at a lot of you know patterns and, and obviously, as a shorter term focus, but he looks at the level of a an asset being oversold or undersold, and you know, as he mentioned, sort of you know tops and whatnot are processes where. Things can get you know over, over, overbought, and then the correction is swift. It's similar on the downside as well, where things can get really oversold and they can you know, get more and more oversold until things begin to sort of equilibrate. And that equilibration factor tends to happen very quickly. So you know, Mike, you just said it wouldn't surprise you if you see gold shoot higher in the next you know, couple of weeks. Um, that would be consistent with that type of bounce off of an overly oversold uh, rating here. All right, I want to remind folks that this video is the last of three videos cut from a two hour long recording session with Sven. If you've not yet watched both of the first two videos, you can do so right now by clicking on the links provided in the description below this video, or by going to youtube.com slash also, Sven has kindly allowed us to share his latest Northcast video with you, which you can access right now for free at wealtheon.com/slash Northcast. It's packed with excellent charts and analysis that build on the insights Sven has shared with us in this interview. And don't forget to help support this channel and bring you more great experts like Sven by hitting the like button and then clicking on the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. Mike, Thanks for your usual wise counsel this week for the prudent investors watching this video. Folks, if you're one of them and would appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by Mike and his team at New Harbor, just stick around. We'll tell you how to do that in just a few seconds. And no matter what the markets do from here, we'll be tracking it together next week when our expert will be the great macro analyst, Grant Williams. Thanks for watching everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much, Adam. See you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to WealthyOn.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold. And when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with US citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks
2: for watching.